HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. If your food media diet is fueled by HRN, become a monthly donor today. Visit heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed podcast. I'm Alexa Santos, a food editor at the Feed Feed, the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Throughout season four of the Feed Feed podcast, we will be trying to help you solve the daily question that we're all faced with, which is what's for dinner? Each week, we will be speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community who are a constant source of ideas and inspiration and help us get dinner on the table every night. Today, I'm joined by Tina Choi, aka Doobie Doobop on social media. Tina is a viral content creator, recipe developer, and food scientist whose mission is to make Korean food more well-known and attainable to a wide audience. Check out her mouth-watering food videos on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube at Doobie Doobop. And welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast, Tina. I am so excited to have you. Hey, Alexa. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So Tina, you have a wonderful story of how you became such a little foodie. (laughs) I want to get into that, but start by telling me about kind of your childhood, where you grew up, what was some of the foods that you were eating when you were little, kind of take it back to the beginning for me. Okay. So my origin story So um, my childhood, you know, a lot of people assume that, you know, because I like to cook, oh, like your mom must be a great cook. And that's something that a lot of people assume about me. But actually, my need to cook really developed because my mom, I hope she's not listening to this, but (laughs) because she's a pretty bad cook, like, you know, um, it's kind of like a generational thing, because, um, you know, if you kind of look back at you know, Korea's, you know, recent 50 years ago, we were very, very poor. So, you know, my grandmother's generation, she really grew up, you know, quite poor and hardworking. So she wanted my mom to, you know, not have to cook at all in the house or clean. And she really wanted her to go down the academic path. So my mom never really had a chance to learn about cooking. Um, And so for me, when I was growing up, 
cooking was always kind of like almost a forbidden fruit. My grandma was a great cook. Um, and it really passed over, it skipped over a generation. And because it was something that, you know, I was technically not supposed to love as well, I think that's what made it even more alluring for me. Wow. So were you having kind of your your grandma's cooking then? Or like, did she live near you? Or what was your kind of experience? Were you just kind of like tasting things around you? Or how did you kind of start having an appreciation for cooking in general? I think before appreciation for cooking, it was honestly my love to just eat. Like I was, I just loved eating um, and my grandma being a great cook. So, you know, I would always hang out around her in the kitchen, trying to f- find something to like nibble on um, when both my parents were out for work. So naturally I spent a lot of time with her and she spent a lot of time with me as well. And I think from just watching over her shoulder, watching her cook, I had this immense fascination because she was able to whip up such amazing food from not even like measuring anything just from feel and that was always something that I was very very fascinated by I love that that's such a grandma vibe like in general it is, it is. <laughs> like no, and I love, no recipe mm-hmm, yeah and I love like also like the Korean name for grandma is how money like which I think is just like so swaggy like I mean if I <laughs> were to have a rap name like definitely like how money or like you know puff pastry like it's so cool oh. like, I just love the Korean word for it but yeah, yeah she's an amazing cook yeah well I'm glad we've got your rap name squared away so that's that's important that we get that Thank figured you. out first Thank and foremost <laughs> and what were some of the things she was making you like in Korean cuisine and you may have to kind of translate like what said dish is but what were some of those dishes that you really loved growing up of course so i think what my grandma really excelled in were panchans and panchans are korean side dishes and it's not like you know you get one or two sides per meal like in every korean household like if you open their fridge there's gonna be at least like 10 panchans in the fridge, like locked away in these like Tupperwares. Like Tupperwares were a big part of my childhood as well. Um, And she was really just good at throwing together whatever was in season that she found in the market, like in the local market that was near our house. So she would like take me there and, you know, if spinaches were like in season, like she would pick them up and just kind of like toss it in some sesame oil, some sesame seeds, you know, you know, season it with a bit of fish sauce. So it was honestly just cooking with feel. And those were some of the dishes that she was very, very good at. Um, And I think that essence of, you know, being able to, hmm, being able to kind of experiment also has also like passed down to me, which I very much appreciate. Amazing. I love that. And yes, Tupperware was a big part of, I think everybody in our age demographics childhood, no matter where you grew up. Oh, 100%. It was all about the Tupperware and losing the lids and not knowing where and like having to rebuy sets of Tupperware and like them falling all over the cabinet. So that was a very iconic part of every like, I guess you're millennial-ish. Mm-hmm. What sort of, we'll, we'll give you that just for now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't call you Gen Z just yet. But. Uh, yeah, I'm like on the cusp. I would say like um, 
But yeah, back to Tupperwares. Yeah, Tupperware is very, very big, very big in my house. I cannot live with them. Like, I just cannot imagine. Like, I think for me, like leftovers are what's like truly so amazing in my house. And like, if you think about one of the most famous Korean foods, it's like bibimbap, right? And bibimbap for me is just whatever panchan, like whatever side dishes that my grandma had made previously, just all kind of thrown together and mixed with gochujang. That sounds amazing. Like I want that right now. Yeah. So (laughs) I think that's instead of one particular dish that she was famous for, it was mostly just, yeah, a bunch of things just kind of all thrown together and just, and it's just amazing. Yum. So you were in Korea until what age? And then I know you came over to the States or like what you're, you're a very, you're a world traveler from what I gather. So what was, what was next and Tina's food journey? Yes, I am a very culturally ambiguous child, um, <laughs> as I say. So yeah, I grew up in Korea, born and raised, and then I lived in Canada for a little bit, which is why I don't really have that strong of an accent. And then I really like started living in the U.S. when I was in high school. I went to prep school in Connecticut, and there really wasn't any good Korean restaurants near where I was and I was eating dorm food 24-7 and I was quite sick of that and that's where I really started cooking on my own um, and just calling my grandma to ask her for recipes because I was essentially very homesick and cooking was a way for me to kind of overcome that. Yeah that sounds like I mean food is what kind of brings and it probably gave you those memories and that is adorable. So you were, I mean, you're talking about dorm life and trying to learn how to cook, but this isn't even college. This is high school at this point that you're like having to, I mean, most of us have to figure out how to fend for ourselves when we're in college, but you're even younger at this point, like having to figure out, like having to ask your grandma how to make stuff and like piece it all together. So that's pretty impressive. So were you, how long did it take you, do you think, to get pretty good at it? Uh, so for me, I think, so, okay, I had this thing where so my um friends started coining me as the prep chef like you know prep school or the prep cook um because you know I was in prep school and I was cooking a lot and I was experimenting I wasn't exactly quite a chef because I was still trying to you know learn how to make basic dishes um I would say high school was all about just learning how to cook the basics. I would call my grandma to make sure like, oh, what do I need to put in? And a lot of the times I wouldn't have the ingredients needed in my local grocery store because it would be a lot of Korea specific ingredients that weren't available near me. So it was a lot of experimenting, you know, swapping out. Um, like Italian anchovies instead of fish sauce and pepperoncino instead of kuchukaru, which is Korean chili flakes. So it was a lot of that experimentation. Um, and I wouldn't say I was good in any means. Like I was most likely just kind of like forcing my friends to try out my cooking, which, you know, God bless, they were a good group of friends. <laughs> I'm sure it was awesome. And, you know, the love was there. And 
your heart was in it. So that's what matters. <laughs> yeah. The, the secret ingredient is love and just forceful. Is it good? I'm yeah, sure yeah. it's good. It's Tell me it's good. good. Right? Yes. Yeah. I know, I, right? <laughs> <laughs> whenever I cook for my friends and family, they always laugh at me because I say, do you love it? <laughs> <laughs> There's only one right answer here. Exactly. It's do you love it? Yes. There's no mm-hmm. like, how is it? What could I improve? No, it's just, do you love it? <laughs> yes. So I totally get that. So then you went to Cornell to study food science, correct? Yes. So I think that spirit of experimenting with food and how like certain products work, it really led me to a fascination with just the science behind food. And so, yeah, I went to Cornell um, and studied food science. And what was that like? So it was, I mean, obviously you're, you know, I, I speak to people and, you know, chefs and most, you know, a lot of content creators went to culinary school and they kind of studied culinary arts, which is, I assume, very different than culinary science. So what is kind of the difference there? Like how, how does that work as like a curriculum? Okay. Also, correction, not culinary science, but food science. Food science, Because sorry. there's a big difference. It's okay. Um, so How dare I? Yeah. So food <laughs> science is really the science behind food. You can think of it as, um, you know, if you go to your grocery store and pick up anything in the aisle, it has to go through the hands of a food scientist at least once during the procedure because... You know, food science is not is about, you know, developing a recipe, um, developing a formula, making sure it's shelf stable, um, walking through the production process. There's also, you know, the marketing standpoint, you know, is this something that's going to, you know, resonate with the consumers? There's a lot of aspects of food science that are involved. As for curriculum, it's, you know, the first two years is all the basic sciences and it's kind of like uh engineering in a sense because you have to do high level chemistry and physics and biology um and yeah so it's a lot of science um and research well that sounds incredibly legit so i i mean that's sort of what I would have guessed, but I definitely could not have articulated any of that. So I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the spark notes of your entire degree, much appreciated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, a, it's quite different from, you know, learning how to cook because within the process of learning food science, like there isn't like a culinary curriculum. We do, however, have an ice cream course for one of the freshman courses where we develop our own ice cream flavor for a final. And like, we have to make sure it's, you know, it's able to run by the factory and we have to like um, do all the cost analysis for it. So not really like the culinary aspect, but I would say the closest that comes to it would be that class. Gotcha. So wait, what was your ice cream flavor? What was your final? My ice cream flavor was a chocolate matcha vegan ice cream. Oh, hell yes. That sounds so good. I love matcha. Yeah, me too. Oh man, that sounds really good. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, (laughs) so you go to Cornell, you're studying food science. You obviously had a passion for cooking and learning from your grandmother. So when did you start creating content and kind of turning this passion into something that is now today like a tangible, you know, career path for you. Okay. 
So I'm gonna just backtrack slightly to how I started creating content. So as I said before, food science is a lot of like the science aspect of it. It's working in labs and a lot of people after graduating, they learn, they go to do research and development and we spend a lot of time in labs. And while that was interesting to me, it wasn't something that I was super passionate about. I had always been very, very interested in the culinary aspect of food and more of, you know, breaking bread with people, sharing recipes that I grew up loving. And that was like what I was passionate about. And I started off after graduation applying for recipe development positions at big companies like, you know, um, Bon Appetit, HelloFresh. And I got rejected from everywhere because I didn't have any real life cooking experience and there was nothing to prove that I was a good cook. So because I had gotten rejected from all these positions, I really had two choices. The first choice was to go to culinary school. And the second choice was to, you know, I'm going to devote one year into making content and doing the things I love and essentially showing off to the world that, you know, your girl can cook. Like that's what What? I was thinking about. Um, So culinary school, I felt that even after graduating, because I wouldn't have any um, real life experience, it wouldn't be as helpful and it was quite expensive as well. So I decided to use that grad money that I didn't go to into creating content. And in the beginning, it was, I started mid-February, that's when it started, like five months ago. Um, It was a lot of complex dishes, like big projects, because I really wanted to solidify myself in that field where it's pretty heavily male-dominated. So it was quite, uh, it was quite stressful because I was trying to prove a point almost and say to the world, hey, like I can cook too. So that's where it started. And in terms of it becoming a full-time career, I was actually full-time from the beginning because I uh, didn't have a job. Like I didn't really have another choice. And I think that, you know, putting 100% into this, um, you know, content creation, that volatility and that uncertainty that it might not take off. And this was, you know, like all I could give my 100% in. And on top of that, like it was, this is like literally my dream job. I've always loved doing this. So I think it was that passion and that desperation that really made me push out content and really develop recipes three, four times before posting it so that people would enjoy it. And I think it was honestly a lot of, yeah, stress and anxiety that made me (laughs) um, be able to pull this off full time, even though that doesn't sound that nice. I think that's the truth behind it. Yeah, honestly, yeah. Doobie Doo Bop sponsored by anxiety. It's great. <laughs> exactly. Anxiety, <laughs> depression, and stress. <laughs> yes. Perfect. We love that for you. But no, I mean, you're doing such a killer job and like the recipes and just kind of the mission in general of bringing that cuisine that you know and love to the masses is obviously incredibly admirable. And I think even me, who, you know, is pretty well versed in, you know, the food scene, it learns, I learned so much from the type of stuff that you post because, I mean, you can probably talk more to this than I can, but, you know, Korean cuisine is not super well known 
I mean, at least here in the States, as far as like a wide variety of dishes outside of just like the kind of standard stuff that you see all the time. So, I mean, I personally thoroughly enjoy and learn from what you do. So it's definitely working out for at least me. (laughs) Thank you. That means a lot to me because I think that part of my job as a content creator who puts out, you know, cuisines, um, dishes from my culture, it's my job to also showcase dishes that aren't really that popular in the U.S., of course, like Korean barbecue, bibimbap, very, very standard. Most people know about it. But I want to tell people more about like yangnyeom gyejang, which is, you know, spicy marinated crabs. And like, there's a lot of different side dishes and Korea just has a very long standing relationship in terms of its food culture and culinary history that I am so, so passionate about sharing. So that to me really means a lot. So thank you. Of course. Yes. And so your cooking style has, you know, evolved and, you know, you've gotten from what I can tell very well versed in the kitchen. So when you're cooking for yourself beyond just content, like how are you kind of approaching what's for dinner every night? Like, are you making these elaborate meals for yourself or is it just like uh, throwing some stuff together? I mean, obviously, like for every meal, I eat super gourmet. Like I make, you know, 20 hour ramen. Of course not. Um, (laughs) Heck no, because I spend so much time cooking and cleaning and also like I'm around food all the time. I honestly, for myself, it's either just leftovers from the shoot or, you know, something like very quick and easy. Like I've been eating so much like just eggs and rice, like whatever's like the easiest and has the least amount of dishes. Check. That's for dinner. (laughs) But the stuff that you make online is like very elaborate and but so you you do get to enjoy that I hope at the end of the day most of the time (laughs) yeah I do I do for sure um I have like leftovers because I recipe test quite a few times but because like for example for my curry video um for my Japanese curry video I had to make Japanese curry three times and each batch was you know two to three portions of food so I had like Japanese curry in my fridge for about over a week and I was eating it every day so now (laughs) I can never look at Japanese curry the same way and like I just I still like shiver a little thinking about it's just I wince a little Oh my god but that video of yours is so good I like can picture I like I'm picturing you right now you're like Katsu curry. (laughs) (laughs) curry. That's exactly how you said it. (laughs) I I did, yeah. But yeah, like it was very good. Like the first few bites, delicious. I ate like the first two bowls, like on the spot. But yeah, like after a while, it's just, I can't can't eat like um, certain dishes again, for sure. It it definitely ruined the view for me. (laughs) So tell me, what do you always have in your kitchen, like ingredient wise? What are you always stocked with? What am I always stocked with? I would say, okay, as a Korean, I have to say kimchi. Like I always have kimchi in my kitchen. Like even when I'm really lazy, like I would just have like, you know, just 
white rice, freshly made rice with kimchi and a little bit of, you know, seaweed. And that's just like the perfect meal for me because it's so quick and easy. As for condiments, you know, there's so many that I love, um, but I would say like the core essentials are soy sauce, sesame oil, um, gochujang, which is Korean chili paste, and gochukaru, which are Korean chili flakes. Um, we love spice as Koreans, so those are like the core ingredients that I cannot live without in my kitchen. Mm. So what's your favorite dish that you've made lately? And my one of my, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation, the tteokbokki, the mm-hmm. little rice cake. How do you say that for real? Tteokbokki. Okay. Uh, that was not good. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> so what, what, what's your, that's, I think one of my favorite that I've seen you do, but what's your favorite that you've made lately? Um, my favorite that I've made lately, um, hmm. That oh. doesn't make you nauseous thinking about it. Cause you ate it for nine days in a row. <laughs> okay. Um, it's actually okay. I made it quite recently, and this is something that I actually don't get sick of. Um, are these um, kimchi cheese rice balls that I made? And they, I developed this recipe because they have this at Costco Korea. They have it in the frozen food section, and like I would always have it at home, always have it at home, and I was really craving them. And I just batch make them. Like I make at least like 10 to 20 when I'm cooking for it and just put it in the freezer and I just microwave it. And that's just like a really quick and easy snack for me. So that's one thing that I would actually never get tired of. Yum. Yeah. And I love the like combination of in Korean cuisine, like things that are kind of like spicy and cheesy that seems mm-hmm. to be like an overarching theme from just kind of the stuff that I've seen you make so it's very yeah. like oh my god I'm getting really hungry right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's like it's it's four over here so I know it's late where you are but like I'm really encroaching upon dinner time here we're getting close so mm, yeah <laughs> like I feel like cheese is just like Korean people are obsessed with cheese because like you know cheese isn't something that was like super readily available in Korea like it's quite a recent ingredient like it wasn't really that prevalent even like 15 20 years ago so like when yeah I mean we just don't use it and like um like it just wasn't like any really incorporated into any dishes before but then it's quite a recent development I would say like the last 10 years we started really experimenting using cheese with traditional Korean food that are quite spicy and it really works well like some of the greasiness and the spice it just works really well and I think it's been um used quite sensibly um in some places but it is definitely overdone in other in in some dishes as well so cheese is like uh it's a we have a love-hate relationship okay well I'm a fan so I'm I'm along for the ride I'm glad I'm glad (laughs) so tell me Tina who inspires you who inspires me? Man, that's a big question. I think that's a huge question. There's a lot of people that inspire me. I think as content creators, you you are inspired constantly by all these amazing people that are posting amazing content on the space. Um, I would say a lot of my peers are my inspiration. Um, but as for like 
a career path. Um, I am so inspired by Anthony Bourdain um, and Eddie Huang. Um, he is definitely like up there as my role model for um, various reasons. But yeah, I would say those two are my biggest. Amazing. Those are those are good ones. Thank I'll you. Give you that. <laughs> so tell me, how often do you grocery shop? Mm, I like to grocery shop like I'd like to do a big haul once a week um, and that's when I'm really like getting all the things that are essential like you know onions garlic green onions those are some other things that are always um, in my fridge so I do like a big shop once a week and I almost I go grocery shopping almost every day because I end up just like forgetting about a single ingredient before I start shooting. So I just like run to the store and I run back. So unfortunately there are t days where I go to the store like two, three times. So like oh, the cashier like definitely knows who I am and just thinks <laughs> I'm like crazy because I would just be like going to the cashier and just putting down like one onion or yeah, like exactly. one like one block of mozzarella cheese and I'm just like panting and just like be like <gasps> I'm paying my credit <laughs> yeah so unfortunately like almost every day wow well that's yeah they're they probably have some thoughts about you they <laughs> oh they definitely think I'm a freak one thousand okay. percent you gotta do what you gotta do, man. You're making it yeah. happen. <laughs> yeah, it's a grocery shopping is an addiction and a lifestyle. That's it's great, and it's a great way to spend your time, and you get your exercise running to and fro, and so it's really killing a lot of birds with the same stone. So touche. It's it's all good. It's all good. So in London, would you say that you kind of are facing? You're kind of up against some of the similar not barriers, but things that you were up against when you were in Connecticut? Or would you say that there is kind of a wider proliferation of kind of like Korean ingredients and restaurants and stuff? Uh, do you feel as homesick there, I guess? Um, you know, London actually surprisingly has no good Korean food, which I've been, I'm quite disappointed about. And because I'm so new here, like I've only moved like three, four months ago, um, like I don't have that many friends. <laughs> so I'm quite... <laughs> That's a separate uh, Yeah, I don't know how I got here, but yeah, I'm lonely. <laughs> but yeah, so in terms of like finding good Korean food and good Korean um, restaurants, yeah, I would say that it's pretty, yeah, the selection is pretty pretty sad yeah oh, I would no. say New York has really good Korean food like I think um Korean food in New York and like obviously LA like that's just like unbeatable whereas here the Korean community isn't as big so it's hard definitely harder to find um good Korean food but I do think that because there isn't that many great Korean restaurants and a lot of like young chefs my age making cool Korean food and doing um, cool things with it. Like it's also a great opportunity for me to really um, start and be a pioneer, um, especially as someone who doesn't necessarily completely come from culinary background. I think that's something that I'm quite excited about partaking as a big project. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that you're I mean, it's kind of filling that void for you to be able to like make this content and kind of have that, you know, outlet to make more traditional Korean dishes and 
eat it for a week straight. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it's definitely a good source of outlets for me to like, you know, channel my like homesickness for sure. Um, it's a little weird because like when I'm in, in Korea, like I don't really like, I don't, I don't like, I miss like Western food. But then when I'm in like the US or when I'm abroad, I start like, craving korean food like crazy the harder it is the harder it is to get groceries like korean groceries the more i start craving it so uh. it's it's quite it's quite weird and like it's a feeling that's like shared by a lot of expats as well because you know all my friends say the same too Wow, that is strange. Well, we're waiting for you with open arms here in New York, obviously. Mm-hmm. Whenever so, I oh, I want to go to New York so badly. You know this already, girl. Yeah, we are we are waiting for you. Yeah, and I'm I think learning from you and kind of even like if I were to go to a Korean restaurant in New York, I probably like the stuff you've mentioned like Korean barbecue or bibimbap would order like pretty quintessential things, but kind of learning and seeing like how good the food that you make looks. I feel like it's opened my mind to like even what I would get at a Korean restaurant here in New York. So you're, you know, you're making it work. And I do think that it's, it's, it's a nice little challenge for you to kind of like bring that Korean food that you're missing. You're like, well, it's not around me. So I'm just gonna make it myself. (laughs) Yeah, you know what you said, that's like a huge compliment to me. And it kind of does tie into like the catchphrase that I'm like, you know, have on my bio and that I say because there are definitely some ingredients and some things that are foreign to people. But like overall during like my the people that support me have been very very open to it and you know I'm teaching people more about Korean food and more about other foods that I love um growing up so it's it's a huge compliment that you say that so thank you so for those who don't know your catchphrase what is it Tina um it's don't yuck my mom um it's (laughs) it's don't yuck my yum (laughs) And my mom. And yeah, your mom too. I guess while you're at it, don't yuck her mom either. Yeah. But, but it's don't yuck my yum. Um, and it means, you know, even if something you don't, even if it's something that you're like, eh, I don't know how I feel about it. You know, I wouldn't go out of your way. You, like, don't be rude about it. Especially if it's the food of my culture. And if it's a beloved dish of my country, you should learn how to respect it. And be open-minded so that's my big mantra absolutely yeah and we love that and it goes for all cultures pretty much I mean yeah the the internet's a crazy place and I think that's a good rule of thumb for everybody to have is to not be like rude and hateful about the food that other people are making from their cultures but yeah (laughs) speaking of cultures do you think that you you know as you kind of develop and you know grow more as a content creator and a recipe developer and a cook Is there like, are there other cultures that you're like looking forward to tackling the cuisine of, or are you going to kind of stick to Korean or what are you thinking there? You know, I think this is a question that I get asked from a lot of people, you know, people say, Hey, like, can you make uh, Vietnamese pho? And I have made pho before, like I've made it um, twice before, 
but I'm no expert in it. And because of the audience that I have, and my job is really to educate people on the food that I know well, and the recipes that are true to my heart, and that I know, you know, that I've developed, it's a little bit difficult for me to do that because it's not something that I'm very well versed in. So I think I'm still trying to find out the right balance of, okay, I want to make people happy and also showcase different food from different cultures and use my platform to make um, to, to do that. But also, am I in the place and authority to be teaching people about pho when I've only made it two or three times? So I think that's still um, something that I need to figure out along the way. So I'm not too sure about that. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's obviously a, a way of going about it, you know, like, you know, you and I could probably get into this for quite a while as far as like an approach to your content. But I do think that people, you know, would respect that that honesty of like, hey, like I'm not the expert on Vietnamese cuisine and I've only made this a few times, but I like this recipe and, you know, I, or I followed so-and-so's recipe and here's how it came out or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So interesting. I mean, obviously you've thought about it and um, I guess you'll cross that bridge when you get to it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Hey, this is Hannah, HRN's program manager. You may have noticed that we have a whole new look. We also launched a new website that's going to make your listening easier and more enjoyable than ever before. HRN is the original food podcast network. And as we enter a new chapter in our 12-year history, I want to ask you to invest in HRN for the long haul. If you rely on this show to fuel your food media diet, become a monthly sustaining member today. Our members keep the voice of America's food movement alive and kicking. Your donations support this podcast along with 40 other shows on Heritage Radio Network. Your contribution helps give HRN the security we need to stay on the airwaves throughout the pandemic And your continued support is allowing us to reopen our studio. Plus, we like to give our regular members special treatment. So sign up to become a monthly donor and get access to our secret menu. We've gathered together exclusive discounts and offers from some of your favorite food and beverage brands. So you get to enjoy insider pricing on goods that will ship right to your door. Join our community of monthly donors, and special deals will come your way throughout the summer. So, can you make a gift of $5 or $10 a month? It'll show me and our whole team at HRN how much this podcast and food radio in general means to you. Become a monthly sustaining member today at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. So I have a hard question for you. It's a, a little game, a, a PG-rated version of F, Mary Kill, where you F one thing, marry the other, and kill the third. Are you familiar? Mm-hmm. Yes, I do know. <laughs> okay, so it's three for food items. And so it's pro- I picked three that are probably going to be hard for you to choose between. So we've got F, Mary Kill. We've got kimchi, mm-hmm. cheese, and rice. Oh... Yeah. Oh no. Okay. Yeah, I came for you. Okay. Well, kimchi cheese rice. Okay. Man. Okay. 
Yeah. Definitely. I'm going to think about marriage first because that's like, you know, something I cannot live without. You know, that's my homie. Yeah. Yeah. So marry, I would marry rice because ah. rice is just something that I eat every day and I just can't live without it. It's my favorite way to consume carbs after noodles. So yes. rice is marry. Um, I would fuck kimchi because she's one spicy biatch (laughs) (laughs) spicy and sexy and funky girl um and we love a good funk town fermentation nation um fermentation nation oh my god yes and i would have to kill cheese even though i love cheese um just kimchi and rice are just two things it's like okay do you like your mommy or your daddy and (laughs) So I, I mean, I have to choose my parents over my sibling, I guess, uh, which is that's cheese. That's fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So who's your mom, rice or? <laughs> <laughs> I would say my mommy is. Um, I don't know who makes more, mom or dad. <laughs> We're just going to keep coming up with analogies for these foods that are a big part of I know. So who's your sugar daddy? Damn. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, yeah. So those were good answers. I respect them. And the rice makes perfect sense to me. I think I would probably... I'd probably go the same route with the rice, but yeah, I mean, it all makes sense. Very, very eloquent, important decision-making, really hard topics that we're getting to the bottom of today. So I know my (laughs) palms were sweaty. (laughs) Um, Well, was there anything else about your story, your goals, your aspirations that I did not ask you, Tina? Hmm. I would say, I think before I leave off, I think one thing that I want to say is I want, I'm going to, I know I started, you know, by posting recipes on TikTok and on Instagram, but it's only like a fraction of the things that I want to do. Um, It's a stepping stone for even cooler projects and bigger creative projects that I'm very passionate about. And I'm excited to do those. And I'm just like very floored by all the attention and just the amount of growth that has happened in the last five months um because I've went from a nobody to somebody from a platform like TikTok and it's just so powerful so yeah I'm excited and I'm happy and that's what I have to say yay yeah no it's been um it's been awesome to it's been awesome to watch and we are all excited to watch you continue to grow and keep keep learning from you and keep drooling over your wonderful food so we all thank you for your efforts oh <laughs> you cutie yeah thank you so much for listening to learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is the feed feed head to the feedfeed.com. be sure to follow us on instagram at the feed feed and don't forget to follow tina on all social media at doobie doobop that's d-o-o-b-y-d-o-b-a-p if you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur who has helped you solve that question of what's for dinner, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can also find us at facebook.com slash Heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from our listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.